yeah. You know who it is. You know who it is. It's your boy, Bruce Hope, with the Format Podcast. Yes, indeed. Here we go. So today, we have a special guest for you joining us to talk uh, some uh, NFL draft as well as college football is uh, Pete Sampson, Notre Dame football beat writer for The Athletic and co-host of the Shamrock Podcast. So we're going to have a good conversation with him about Notre Dame guys going to the league, you know, what uh, he expects them to be able to do, uh, development at the Notre Dame football program, of course, the uh, the uh, spring football practices, as well as what he sees for the upcoming season. So look forward to that one. It's going to be good. If you're a college football fan, check it out. If you're a Notre Dame football fan, of course, you got to tune in for this. All right. Um, but before we get to that, you know what we got to do. Let's knock out the particulars, shall we? First and foremost, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate that. If you're not already subscribed to this channel, go ahead and click that subscribe button in the lower right corner of your screen. Also, click on that bell so you can be notified when uh, new episodes come out. That way, when I bring out new content, you will uh, you'll be uh, notified right away and you can uh, click on it and watch it. Right. Um, also, uh, click on that like button for me. I'd appreciate that as well. And uh, if you find it interesting, if you don't, whatever it may be, why don't you leave some comments in the comments section? We'd love that. All right. Um, if you're on social media, you can catch me on Twitter at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. Catch me on Twitter. Um, I tweet. I say stuff. I retweet stuff. So you can check that out. Also, you can talk to me directly. I love that. That's cool. If you're on Instagram, follow me on Instagram at the format podcast. That's at the format podcast. You can do the same. And uh, finally, uh, if you want to email me directly, you know, that's awesome, too, because I'm always available. The format podcast at Outlook outlook.com. The format podcast at outlook.com. I'm available anytime through all those means. You can tell me, uh, hey, Bruce, uh, love your show. You're fantastic. Here's something I'd like to recommend for different topics to discuss. Here's something you missed. Uh, you know, you can do that. You can also tell me, hey, Bruce, you're a freaking idiot. You're the dumbest guy ever talking sports. I don't agree with anything you said. And that's a OK also. Right. Because no matter what you say, what does that tell me? That tells me you're listening. And I just love the interaction. All right. So interact with me. I love it. OK. Um, next up, if you just want to hear the audio version because you don't have time to sit there and uh, watch on YouTube. That's a-okay too, because I'm available for you. Before I started doing the YouTube content, I was putting this pod out audio only, and that's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast, The Format Podcast is available. Just type it in, The Format Podcast. We should pop right up, all right? And as I mentioned, iTunes, if you're going to iTunes or even if you're not, why don't you go on over there, type in The Format Podcast, and give us that five-star review five one two three four five give us that five star review um i'd appreciate it very much helps us move up in the rankings and just you know helps this this fine program keep going forward all right so with all that said and done it's time to get to it sit back relax and listen up to episode 97 featuring pete sampson of the athletic only uh what two more after this until episode 100 still don't know what i'm gonna do for that but we're going to make it happen and we're going to do the damn thing of the format.
joining us today is a special guest, a Notre Dame football beat writer for The Athletic and co-host of the Shamrock podcast, Pete Sampson. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. And uh, just so you know, following in the footsteps of the Shamrock podcast, I have carried over the tradition of bald guests. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's a tradition for us over there. Yeah, we try to, uh, try to, try to keep it with a close shave. <laughs> yes, indeed. So um, we got some interesting notes to kind of talk about today, Pete. Um, mm -hmm. uh, let, let, let's start with the recent NFL draft. And this is something I've really been paying attention to over the last, you know, handful of years or maybe more, because obviously you hear all the talk about the SEC, the SEC, and my argument's always been, yeah, great conference, arguably the best in college football, but very top heavy. And so mm -hmm. uh, every year it seems, or every other year we see the SEC breaking its own record for having most players drafted. Um, this year, I think it was 65. Uh, I want to say 12 or 15 came from national champion Alabama. A few years yeah. ago, when it set the record, 12 or 13 came from national champion LSU. So first, obviously, on a championship team, you're going to have more players drafted just because of the depth of talent there. So I'm like, okay. But I say that to say Notre Dame this year, 2021, had nine Irish players drafted. That clearly doesn't count undrafted rookie free agents which is tied with Georgia for the second most by one school this year. Um, what does that say to you about the state of Notre Dame football program at this point, both in terms of recruiting and player development? I mean, I'm watching a guy like JOK Owusu-Koromoa. He came in, I believe, as a three-star and became the Buckus Award winner last year, rated as the second best linebacker in the draft by most people. Tell me where you are with what Notre Dame's been able to do in terms of setting guys to the next level. I think that they've got sort of the player development piece uh, in a in a very healthy spot. I, I I don't know, you know, maybe there are a few margins they can mine to improve that, but I don't I don't think they could develop players better than what they're doing. I think they they sort of have that formula figured out. Um, and I think you know you look at some of the draft output, and then you sort of reverse engineer it back to how the season went. Sometimes it lines up, sometimes it doesn't. With Alabama, it lined up. Um, right. With Michigan, it didn't. Um, um, but with Notre Dame, I think it lined up. I thought it was it was proof that Notre Dame was a really, really good team. Um, I thought that their draft output was probably right in maybe yeah, I'd say right in line. In some ways, I I, I would I would probably say Notre Dame overachieved a little bit because um, mm -hmm. you know they only. They had three second rounders, which is very good. But mm. when you look at sort of Alabama, Clemson, um, you know, those right. are uh, Ohio State just one first rounder, but I think Alabama had six and then two yep. very early in the second round. It's, um, you know, Clemson obviously with Trevor Lawrence going number one overall. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Notre Dame sort of, it, it backed up who Notre Dame was. Uh, mm. And I thought it was a, a compliment to Brian Kelly and sort of the way he's got the infrastructure of the program set up. Right. Yeah. Kind of kind of second tier in college football. And uh, we'll see if by the time he's out of there, they can move to that to that top tier. But by the way, um, just want to throw this little nugget in there for those who can't stand Notre Dame. And it's funny, they're almost like the Cowboys of college football. Either mm -hmm. you love them or you hate them. There's not really middle ground with the Irish. But for those who don't want to hear it, they are still number one on the list for all time players drafted in the NFL by one school. So just wanted to share that. <laughs> But um, so I mentioned uh, JOK, uh, Jeremiah Wuzu-Koromoa earlier. I was watching the draft and 
even in my prep going up to the draft, I was really kind of looking to see where he would land and how that would play out for him. And he ended up in what I think is going to be a really good spot for him. But what surprised me was how far he slid being projected originally second best linebacker in the draft, mid to late first rounder, ending up going in the second. So yesterday, Adam Schefter reported that he had a heart condition that people found out about during the pre-draft process. And that's kind of what scared a lot of teams off. Um, had you heard anything about any of that, you know, prior to the draft? And, you know, obviously whatever it is hasn't really affected his play to this mm -hmm. point. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a surprise to me. Um, you know, when the draft is happening and he's sliding down, you're sort of thinking through the scenarios of like, mm -hmm. all right, well, you know, is it is it scheme fit? Did he have mm -hmm. did he interview poorly? Um, you know, is there something wrong with his tape? And having covered the guy and interviewed the guy, you're like, no, 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 and no. Mm -hmm. um, so that certainly explained it a little bit more. I mean, first, I'm happy that he's able, he's healthy, and then yeah. second, can still play, yeah. but. Um, if that's Schefter's report, that that would certainly explain quite a bit of why yeah. a guy that probably should have gone in the very late teens or low twenties um, fell mm -hmm. into the middle of the second round. It was really right. it was the third Notre Dame player taken, which I don't think anyone would have predicted before the draft started. Right. Uh, I thought something you you mentioned just now was interesting in terms of you were questioning whether or not he interviewed well. I wouldn't imagine that very many Notre Dame football players just being the type of institution it is and the type of uh, the type of, you know, quote unquote character guys and student athletes that go there. I wouldn't imagine very, very many of them would be having issues in the interview process. No, sure highly, highly well prepared for that. Yeah. And Owusu Koromoa is a really he's very kind of an old soul, um, mm. you know, good would be a good interview, I believe. Um, and I just is like a really bright, engaging guy. I think mm. it's somebody you would want to spend time talking to and getting to know if you're an NFL scout or an NFL coach. So mm. that it was just like, you're sort of trying to check every box of like, okay, what could it be? Could it be X? Could it be Y? Could it be Z? And in the end, it was, it was none of those. It was something medical that none of us knew about. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so uh, continuing in the vein of uh, Irish in the NFL, which Irish player or players, and obviously we know that coaching and scheme plays a huge role in that, but which ones do you see having the most uh, impact on their NFL teams? Um, obviously, like I said, a lot of that is coaching and scheme, but who mm -hmm. can you see having relatively immediate and possible long-term success uh, of the guys who went into the NFL this season? I mean, you'd probably go with Owusu Koromoa, right? Because he's in a position where the team is good. They're they're looking to really sort of find the last layer or two to get them over the top. Um, so, I mean, that that is definitely the guy that, that would go first. I mean, with the offensive lineman, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, you know, I'm not incredibly well-versed on what in what Miami has back on the offensive line or what mm -hmm. San Francisco has back on the offensive line. So when it comes to Liam Eikenberg or or Aaron Banks, mm -hmm. but um, certainly you would say those would be the three guys. And then, you know, Ian Book is, is he competing for a starting job? Is he competing yeah. to be number two? Is he just competing to make the roster? Um, you know, that will be interesting to sort of see how that shakes out after he went in the fourth round to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I like that you, you, you brought up Ian Book because that's where I was going next. And I thought it was funny, you know, when I saw, you know, with the whatever pick uh, uh, New Orleans takes Ian Book, quarterback Notre Dame, 
Now, this was interesting to me. No one's saying that he has even the chance to become Drew Brees or even a long-term NFL starter from what I've read and all the evaluations and listened to. But I do think it's interesting that from a physical and maybe intangible standpoint, he shares a lot of similarities with Drew Brees. Um, mm-hmm. hey, obviously, at the Notre, at Notre Dame at the collegiate level, he's a winner. He, he's the winning his coach in Notre Dame, uh, winning his coach, winning his QB in Notre Dame history. Um, he's you know top two or three in all the passing stats, uh, and I, I do think it's very interesting. And if if I were him, I'd definitely try to maybe reach out and try to build a relationship with Drew Brees um, in terms of maybe picking his brain, seeing you know smaller quarterback mobile early on in his career anyway and you know what can he do where can he improve and obviously watch a lot of film but uh, what do you think of that comparison and have you heard anything about why anything about uh, whether or not those items were maybe part of the reason of 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 why uh the saints drafted him i don't think that sort of a a like for like comparison to breeze is is probably real important that the Saints draft evaluation, um, you know, because you look at the other quarterbacks, right? It's Taysom Hill, who's mm-hmm. really just a dual threat, or Jameis Winston, who's, mm-hmm. you know, more of a pro-style guy. Um, you know, and then certainly you look at Breeze's college career was off the charts statistically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was he was doing things that Ian Book did not do last year at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, maybe your, your passing scheme where you're looking for, um, you know, quarterbacks to be a little bit more mobile and understand that you can't throw over the top of defensive linemen, which Brian Kelly talked about on Monday. Um, maybe that's part of it. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting that I remember talking to Tommy Reese about Ian Book back in 2018, and it was like at a media day going into the college football playoff against Clemson. And he talked about how one of the challenges to, that he put down to book that year was to, to be Drew Brees. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with athleticism or mm-hmm. uh, statistics. It had to do with mastery of an offense um, and sort of the, the football IQ part of it. So I think that, you know, book and Brees shared some comparisons that way. Like Brees was always going to be the guy that book, like, okay, if book maxed out everything. Who would he be? He would be Drew Brees. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to max out everything. Um, right. But I do think that there, it, I think probably going to New Orleans is a little more coincidence than anything, but there is some, some good threads to pull there about, um, you know, why they're similar or certainly, you know, the NBC connection, if you really wanted to go uh, that deep too. Yeah. I thought about that. Um, okay. So we'll move on from uh, Irish in the NFL and get, get a little more into your wheelhouse in terms of, the college football side of it. So um, obviously they just finished their spring football season with the blue and gold game. Not really sure how much there is to be able to take away from it yet, other than this will certainly be a very different team than the team we saw last year make the college football playoff. Um, The offense should theoretically be more dynamic and explosive in in the passing game, which brings us to an interesting note with five-star wide receiver, Jordan Johnson announcing that he's going to transfer. So, First thing I want to get into is um, uh, where are you on what caused that and uh, how much of a hit do you think it'll be on the Notre Dame passing attack, which we all know desperately needs to get better vertically this season? Um, I I think the way I'd phrase it is I think Notre Dame wishes it was more of a hit than it would actually be. And what I mean by that is like Jordan Johnson at Notre Dame in practices 
was not somebody that was really impressing the coaching staff. They wanted him to, I mean, they wanted him to be as good as his, his recruiting ranking. Um, but when he came in, they, they, I mean, they liked him. I don't, I don't want to sort of cast him as this guy was running a five two forty. Um, but this was not the next Mike, Michael Floyd. Uh, and they knew that right away, as soon as he got here, um, that he was going to take some time to develop. So that was, I think that was a little bit disappointing that they, they weren't getting more of a out of the box ready player. Mm. Uh, but socially and academically, Notre Dame was tough for him. Um, mm. You know, Notre Dame is a really unique place. Uh, mm. I think, you know, Lou Holtz said it's you know, not, not for everybody. Um, right. And I think Jordan Johnson really struggled with that part of the college experience there. So I, I think in the end, the lack of athletic success, um, the academic challenges, just sort of socially fitting in, he really was struggling in all three. Um, mm. And I think in some ways it's a relief to the player and probably the program a little bit that they can both sort of have a fresh start there. So, mm. you know, if Jordan Johnson was flashing like Michael Floyd or Will Fuller mm. uh, or, or even, you know, Kevin Austin, a healthy Kevin Austin, this would be a major, major blow. Um, but that's not what was happening behind the scenes um, with him and his, his athletic development. So it's, I think it's just more of a tale of recruiting rankings are, I think, very good and predictive in the big picture. Mm-hmm. But once you get down to like the individuals, that's where you sort of lose the predictive power drops a lot. Um, you know, Tyler Eckert was a three-star prospect that turned into an All-American. Jeremiah mm-hmm. Usu-Karmo was right. a three-star prospect that turned into an All-American. Like, mm-hmm. But almost no three-star prospects do that. You know, Jordan Johnson, Eshaq Williams, those were a couple of five-star guys that, that mm-hmm. flamed out. But over, you know, by and large, when we're talking about five-stars, we're talking about Michael Mayer. We're talking about mm-hmm. Stephon Tuitt. You know, right. Aaron Lynch didn't last at Notre Dame, but he was a great, great player. Right. Um, Jalen Smith. Um, so... You know, I, I think Jordan Johnson ultimately is sort of the exception um, in terms of you know being misevaluated. But um, I, I think that Notre Dame sort of looks at it as like this kid needed a fresh start. Um, this wasn't a good fit for him. Um, they tried to make it work, it didn't, um, and now he he moves on to a new place. Got it. Um, so, do you expect to see a more vertical passing game from offensive coordinator Tommy Reese with the? with the wide receivers that he has this season? I do. Uh, I think that some of that is they need it because that's where college football is going. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it is that's, they hope that's where the, the strength of the team is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's Jack Cohn is going to be part of that. I think that he sees, sees the field differently than Ian Book did. Um, certainly being taller helps, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he, he can throw people open a little bit differently than Ian Book did. Mm-hmm. he's not but he's also not as escapable as Ian Book right? right like you know one of Ian Book's strengths was running the ball and if your quarterback is running he's not taking vertical shots because uh, he's running so it um it to me so much of like if if we're talking in November and the subject was Notre Dame's vertical passing game and you said Kevin Austin was healthy for 12 games mm-hmm. Notre Dame will absolutely have a vertical passing game that I think is going to be fun to watch. Um, if Kevin Austin is not healthy, that this whole, this whole discussion may be turning into a little bit of a struggle for Notre Dame, but um, it's that the intention is to be more vertical. Um, that doesn't mean it will click, but that's what Notre Dame wants it to be. Right. 
Um, what, what can we reasonably expect uh, from Notre Dame's offensive line? You know, they've got the moniker now, O-line U. They're consistently mm -hmm. pumping guys out, sending them to the league. They're consistently, you know, in the running for the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in college football. Um, uh, what, what can we reasonably expect from them with likely two true freshman starters and a ton of experience and starts going to the NFL? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're going to have to learn as they go. Um, you know, the they're not going to be ready out of the box at Florida state. I think a healthy perspective if you're a fan is just like today is kind of the worst Notre Dame's offensive line is going to be, they're going to be better tomorrow. Um, you know, during the season, Florida state might be the worst that they play, but they'll be better the next week and the next week and the next week. And by the end of the season, you hope you have a, a good offensive line. Can you win along the way while you're learning up front? That that's a great question. Um, you know, we'll, we will see when they get to Wisconsin in game four, yeah. how much they've learned over those first three weeks, because they're going to have to make a huge improvement. Um, but that's, and that's okay. I mean, that's what happens when you turn over your entire offensive line. So it's, um, I think Blake Fisher, the, the early enrollee from Indianapolis has been outstanding. The staff mm -hmm. is very excited about him. Um, you know, and Rocker, Rocco Spindler would be mm -hmm. a little bit below that, but if, um, if they can get Blake Fisher to sort of be the exception to the rule uh, that freshmen don't play well on the offensive line, then, then I think you could have something with this group to grow through the season. Got it. Got it. So, uh, you know, Brian Kelly staple, you know, at least since 2012, anyways, being physical and, uh, physicality and, 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 uh, being that in the run game and obviously the offensive line we were just talking about, needs to be able to hold up if they're going to be more explosive in the downfield passing attack, which is something we also mentioned that they want. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, maybe later in the season that they will be able to do that? Or even, as you mentioned, in game four against Wisconsin, because Wisconsin is always a stout defensive team. Do you think they'll be able to hold up to allow those things to happen? You know, it's an interesting question. I don't, they're not going to be nearly the physical team Team that they were last year. I mean, last year they really leaned smartly into we're going to beat you over the head. And mm -hmm. by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, you're going to be dazed and confused. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to put the game away. Notre Dame's going to have to play a different style of football this year. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're going to be able to out physical Wisconsin the way that if Notre Dame 2020 was returning in 2021, mm -hmm. they would try to play that way. They would just try to beat Wisconsin into the ground. Um, I think that, you know, this team is going to be much more about how do you get Michael Mayer tight end in one-on-one -on -one matchups? How do you get Tyron Williams and Chris Tyree out there together? Um, you know, and then it's Austin, Avery Davis, maybe Braden Lindsay, um, Lawrence Keys. Can you get something out of those guys? But um, I think this offense is, and you saw it in the spring game a little bit. I mean, they come out in an empty formation with no tight ends. Um, I'm not saying you should read everything into that, but <laughs> That's not, they didn't play that way last year. Right. Um, putting, putting Ian Book in the shotgun with nobody in the backfield didn't play to their strengths. I think with mm -hmm. Jack Cohn, it does. And I also think with the offensive line, you're stretching out the defense where you can't put eight guys in the box to mm -hmm. blitz and confuse who's coming and who's not because right. you're leaving too much, too much open on the edge. So I think in some ways, Reese can kind of help Notre Dame's offensive line by spreading it out. I think that means you're a little bit less physical, like you're saying. Um, but mm -hmm. I do think that's that will help not only maybe play to some of their strengths, but kind of steer clear of some of their weaknesses. 
You know, that was funny. That was something I hadn't thought about. And as you mentioned, Tommy Reese, uh, I know you talked to him. Uh, what have you seen in terms of his growth and development as a play? Well, we're not going to see as a play caller until the season starts, but as a play mm-hmm. designer and and just what have you seen and what what has he told you in terms of and shown you in terms of his growth? Obviously, you mentioned, you know, totally different type of roster makeup. Uh, that's going to change, you know, the way the team plays on offense. What have you seen? I mean, I think I've seen an intention to change and evolve. Um, and I, I think that there's a real misperception out there that like what Notre Dame ran last year is Tommy Reese's playbook and he doesn't have anything else. Um, that's not how he sees football. That's not how he sees coordinating an offense. But the ability to sort of change effectively and efficiently is something else. I mean, you can draw it up on a whiteboard, um, mm-hmm. but to install it and teach it and make it effective on, you know, September 5th in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. that's something else entirely. So, that, I mean, this is, this is a big year for him as a teacher. I have no question that as an innovator and a play caller and a play designer, like he will be fine. Um, I think his resources at the NFL level and at high end college coaches are, are quite good. Um, it's something that I would like to write about the summer mm-hmm. um, he has places to go to bounce ideas off of um, you know NFL head coaches but um, that's a big difference between that and how do I get a grad transfer quarterback to understand what I want to do how do I get mm-hmm. a freshman offensive line to block it the way I want to block it mm-hmm. um, so that's that's where it's a little bit different right so I'm looking at the Irish schedule uh, this season and I think it's uh, generally pretty manageable in terms of tough games, Wisconsin, which we talked about, it's going to be a tough one. USC always has talent, no matter what their record is. They've always got speed all over the place. They've got athletes. And of course, Stanford to uh, finish out the year in Palo Alto. So there has to be, and we mentioned there's some drop off from last year being a playoff team, just due to the loss of all that experience. Uh, Do we think that Notre Dame can get to double digit wins for the fifth consecutive season under Brian Kelly this year? I do. Um, and I would definitely throw Cincinnati in that mix too. I know it's oh, not yeah, a, a brand, yeah, that's you know, yeah. not, not a brand name at all. No. Right. Um, but very sound program though, what they have, how mm. much they're used to winning. Um, mm. they return a really good quarterback. Um, I think Luke Fickle is a great head coach. So, mm-hmm. but you know, those four games, I, I look at those and think, all right, Notre Dame should get three of them. Um, maybe they only get two of them, mm-hmm. but if they get two of them, I do think the rest of the schedule is very manageable. Um, especially, I mean, Florida state could be weird. It's at night. There's so much new. I mean, how many times do we watch an, the opening game of a season and see a team just like they're not ready to go or they had, mm-hmm. they have to put something down on tape to understand how far they have to go. And then they mm-hmm. improve from there. I think if Notre Dame gets out of Florida state, okay, then you're probably looking at, 10 and two, nine and three would be disappointing to me with mm-hmm. this schedule. Um, but I, I do think the way the program is set up, they're used to winning. They understand what it takes. Um, even with all the turnover, 10 and two feels, feels like kind of the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of where I am too, but I've also learned <laughs> over the years that you, know, you expect a lot and it's somewhere you get let down. And, and again, the youth is going to play a role there. Yeah. Um, so talking about schedule, what that brings me to is uh, 2022 and 23, which is something I'm really looking at where 
Notre Dame has to deal with both Clemson and Ohio State. And that's tough sledding for anybody to have to deal with both of those programs in the same season. Um, so one of the biggest questions for me will be at QB and uh, Tyler Buckner, obviously the four, sometimes five star, depending on recruiting service, uh, is supposed to be the guy of the future and possibly the difference maker at that position. So that leads me to something I discussed with my buddy, John Kennedy, host of the Always Irish Notre Dame football podcast. Um, if Buckner is currently, as it seems, firmly entrenched at third on the depth chart now, how does he get the time or the reps, you know, obviously short of injury to one of the guys above him, mm -hmm. to prepare for next season, which opens at the Horseshoe in Columbus? Kind of talk to me about his development and how far mm -hmm. he is away for being ready from being a big-time college football quarterback. And I, I just say that looking at a guy like DJU last year, DJ right. from Clemson, five-star guy comes right in and he, you know, looks like he could have started at pretty much any program in the country. So how, how far away is Tyler Buckner from, you know, uh, being ready? He's, I think he is far. However, I think he's closer than he was when he showed up. Um, okay. and I, I think that the, to me, this, the Tyler Buckner story from spring ball is he went from a guy that the coaches were hopeful was their quarterback of the future. They were mm -hmm. hopeful what they saw in high school would translate to college mm -hmm. to knowing that it will. Um, okay. And that even if he doesn't not play a single snap in 2021, mm -hmm. that is a big, big deal. Um, because now you can be like, all right, we got our guy for the future. It's going to happen for him in Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. um, we feel good about that. That really sets the tone for everything mm -hmm. moving forward in 2022 and 2023 and, and maybe 2024. And that's that I think was sort of Tyler Buckner's story uh, during spring ball. He went from comes in throwing motion, got to, you know, cleaning that up, mm -hmm. figuring out his way. Is this the guy we saw on tape? Not really sure. Okay. This is uncomfortable. You know, what if he's not too like, all right, we're seeing flashes and then it's okay. Now the light's coming on and it's staying mm -hmm. on. Um, I do. I think that that was probably the takeaway. And I, I would not, I would not be surprised at all if he does play in this fall um, in, will it be similar to Ian book and Brandon Wimbush early in 27, 28 or yeah, 2018, where remember Ian book would come in and sort of in the red zone packages. Mm, Good. Okay. Could Buckner do that? Yeah, I, I could see something like that happening. Um, I I will be, I think he will play a little bit this fall. I don't think he's going to challenge Jack Cohn for the starting job, but I do think if, if Buckner takes yet another step in the summer, mm -hmm. um, you're he will be too he will be too good not to play in some settings. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think he will be the starter, but I think he will be too good not to get on the field somewhere. What are you seeing from his uh, physical tools in terms of playing at this level? I, I mean, if you watch the spring game, I don't think he's going to blow you away just standing there. Um, mm. He's not like you mentioned, GJ Uyunglele. Like you <laughs> right. barely need to have him throw a football to know right. he's going to be good. You're just mm. like, oh, okay, you look like that, you'll be good. Um, mm. You know, maybe a better comparison would be Bryce Young at Alabama because Bryce Young, another California kid, five-star guy. Physically, he's not super impressive, um, but just does everything really well. Uh, and I think Tyler Buckner, 
Notre Dame has sort of seen the ball comes out faster with him than anybody else. The ball gets there faster than anybody else. Um, he's more athletic on the run than anybody else. So he's got, he's got the best physical tools of all the quarterbacks here. Um, that's not a question at all mm -hmm. for Notre Dame. Um, now it's just a matter of like figuring out the offense, mm -hmm. um, understanding how to be a college quarterback. And mm -hmm. I do think probably I've written about this, but it's worth repeating. Like, he is incredibly smart. Um, mm. This is not somebody who's going to come to Notre Dame and struggle academically where you're worrying mm. about football being hurt because he's not doing well in calculus. Like mm -hmm. calculus will be easier for Tyler Buckner than football. Um, and I think football comes pretty naturally. So he will, right. he is, he is kind of one of those perfect fit type guys mm. for this place. Okay. So has it, has there been enough of what, um, you or, well, obviously the coaching staff has seen in terms of, you know, his ability to kind of process on this level. Cause we know a lot of guys come in with the tools, but the mm -hmm. mental part of the game is kind of where, where the difficulty is in making the transition. Uh, yeah, what is I mean, he with that? I mean, obviously it's very early. In yeah. The process, I think that's, that's kind of what I would like to see more of. Um, mm -hmm. And that it's hard, it's hard to evaluate, right? Cause you know, you watch the games, we're not sure what he's processing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that in certainly in high school, he called his own plays sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think his understanding of the game is at a high level. Um, I don't think it's that's not to say that it's like off the charts at Mensa type of stuff. But he, I, he understands the game. Um, he, I think he understands how offense fits together. So and like I said earlier, he is really, really smart. Um, and I, I think that's that intellect. Is, it's not just book smart I think he's football smart too so not that wouldn't be a huge concern for me um but until you get in a game against a, a team that is trying to rip your head off it's you know that's that's a, a different problem to solve got it um so before I let you uh get out of here uh Pete um let's talk one more item uh mm -hmm. tell me who do you see and why as one impact player this year on offense another on defense and your impact freshman on defense, uh, cornerback Cam Hart, I think, is the guy that I would pick out. And I mean that, like, as a, as a new guy. Like, mm -hmm. your listeners probably know who Kyle Hamilton is. Um, right, right, they probably right. know who Myron Tungabailoa most mm -hmm. is. I, I think Cam Hart has a chance to be a dynamic corner for Notre Dame and a real surprise story of the season. Um, That's something the coaches, they needed, just watching yeah, they, get torn apart by elite wide receivers year after year. They need somebody who's long and lean and lanky um, mm -hmm. to play corner. And I think that they have him in Cam Hart. But again, we'll see when the lights go on, if it, it holds up. But the coaching staff is very, very high on this kid privately. Mm -hmm. um, offensively, you know, Chris Tyree is not a breakout player because he played a bunch last year and was mm -hmm. quite good. But I do think the staff sort of sees what's coming for him mm -hmm. as similar to the jump Kyron Williams made from freshman to sophomore year. But then you think about it in terms of like, all right, well, Tyree's already like five steps ahead of where Kyron Williams was as a freshman, but the staff thinks like he will make that same jump. So if, if he does, then I think you, you imagine having essentially two Kyron Williams of last year and this mm -hmm. year's team. Um, I think that's what the staff thinks they're going to have with him. Mm -hmm. So I, I would still, well, Tyree is not your classic breakout player because he had a good freshman season. I, I do mm -hmm. think he's somebody who's going to go from very good to 
like great um, this season. Okay, that's something we're looking forward to. And um, you meant did you mention the impact freshman? Is that was yeah they Cam the freshman is yeah I mean so Cam Hart's been around so he's kind of a junior but hasn't okay. played. Um, you know the impact freshman. I guess you really have to go with Blake Fisher, right? Um, yeah. You know, he's he's probably going to start on the offensive line, would be the first opening a starter of a freshman on the offensive line since Sam Young in 2006. Um, wow. I think he would just be the third freshman offensive lineman to start any game under Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. I think it's just Steve Elmer with four and Robert Hainsey with one. So mm-hmm. it's that would be, that would be pretty impressive. I, I'm not sure if there's like a, a Clarence Lewis in this class, like mm-hmm. you have a three-star guy that surprises you, but I mean, I do like, I thought Justin Walters did some good things in the spring game and they're, they're looking for a fourth safety um, and he may have a, a shot to be that guy. So Blake Fisher would be the obvious pick. Maybe Justin Walters more of a, a deep cut there. Okay. All right. Well, Pete, uh, always a, a pleasure to have you in talking Notre Dame football and uh, sharing the knowledge. Uh, it, it's great to have you, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to talk again before the season starts, and uh, hopefully I'll see you in Tallahassee. Absolutely. hope so.